0: Uh, as has been said, we're hoping that this is probably our last pre-recorded uh, gathering. We're hoping to do more live stream, and yet in the coming weeks, we're looking to transition uh, into in-person gathering. And so, uh, what you need to know now at this at this point is just if you decide to come out, wear uh, a mask and be prepared to wear it through the duration of the gathering. So. Uh, If you're thinking of coming out next week, we'd ask you to do that. Also, then, maybe tune in to Zoom right after uh, this gathering so that uh, you can get more details on that particular uh, thing. So, uh, a few other things just before we jump into the sermon itself. um, Just want to jump into a few prayer items. Obviously, we want to be praying for our nation 2021. uh, Not a whole lot has changed as we've transitioned to the new year. So, some difficult things that have been going on this past week. We want to keep that in prayer. Also, we want to think about our gathering next week, just praying for safety and for wisdom as we uh, go about that, and finally praying for Great City Church of Frankfurt and the Northeast. So join me in prayer. God, we are so thankful that you have, in your sovereign plan, given us Jesus. As Ephesians uh, chapter 1 says, that you have given Christ to your church. And so, Father, we honor you. We thank you for that incredible gift. Jesus, thank you that we can look to you, not as just some sort of uh, religious icon that we can hope things will turn out. Thank you that you are a relational God, we look to you in relationship to you. Thank you that as we place our affection on you, we can sense something of your own affection for us. And so we, we thank you that you are with us, you are near to us, and you are one whom we can uh, look to. And so even as we look to gathering in person next week. Jesus, we we look to you for all of that. We recognize that all the matters of COVID and all the precautions and restrictions are in your hand ultimately. Thank you that you teach us wisdom on how to navigate these things, but you call us to look to you as the one that our hope should ultimately be in. So even as we look to next week, God, we pray that something of safety would be granted to us. We value what you died to attain for your people, and that is the blessing of being able to gather. So, God, we ask, uh, man, I, and I, I just can't wait to hear voices again singing your praises together. We look unto you. So, uh, Jesus... We, we anticipate that time. We anticipate that it will be uh, a blessing to you as we would gather and sing your praises, but we ask for your grace of safety upon the gathering next week. We also then pray for Frankfurt and Northeast as they have been gathering. We pray, um, God, that as, as they continue to navigate these things, that you provide something of wisdom to them. We, we ask, Lord, um, that what has been a difficult year will prove to be something of fruitfulness in the coming year. Uh, Lord, we, we recognize the challenges and the hardships, but we know that your word has not been bound. Um, as Paul would say, "I'm bound, but your word is not bound." And so we pray that even through 2020, that your word has gone forth and that it's accomplished much. So as your church begins to gather again and get into some routine, that there would be something of fruitfulness seen in what has been a difficult year. So we pray that for Frankfurt and for the Northeast, we pray your blessing upon them. And God, we pray um, for your blessing upon our nation as we go through. Uh, quite a transition this month and following. We pray, Lord, that you would grant something of peace upon this nation. We pray against those who would want to stir uh, up chaos and bring about violence. We pray against that violence, and we pray for your peace to be brought. Lord, this is a time, we just declare, this is a time for your church to shine amidst darkness, to be unified against, uh, and in the backdrop of a of a culture and a nation that is splintered and fractured, and so we pray that the light of your church, the light of your gospel, would shine forth from your church, uh, and that it would produce something again of fruitfulness. But we pray for our nation. We pray for the leaders. Uh, who will be transitioning out, as well as leaders who will be transitioning in in this month. We pray that that would be uh, something that's done peacefully, but we also then pray, um, Lord, that you would simply bless our nation. You tell us to do this uh, in 1 Timothy 2, and so we honor you by asking you to work on behalf of our nation, bring blessing to it, we pray. We thank you for our nation. The blessings that we have in uh, in America are profound in light of the global landscape, and so Lord, we we thank you for your incredible blessing upon our nation. We ask that you would continue to protect us from evil, protect us from the enemy, protect our nation from destruction and um, and what is false. Um, ideas and ideologies, and so we pray your blessing upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to turn to Joshua 14. Joshua 14, as you do, I want to jump in uh, to the sermon itself. Um, This past year, many people have said has been an unprecedented year, 2020. Uh, users of the onlinedictionary.com named the People's Choice Word of the Year as unprecedented. Uh, unprecedented means never done or known before. 2020, for many, has felt unprecedented. And perhaps from our short lifespans and our tiny little footprints here on Earth, that's a fitting word for this past year. But when we consider history, and for our purposes, when we would consider church history, we come to see that what we've experienced in this past year is actually nothing new. Uh, Even as we've seen from the book of Revelation over the last so many weeks, Scripture actually anticipates all these levels of unrest. Until Jesus returns, there will be an ebb and flow to political unrest, civil unrest, economic unrest, natural unrest. What we've experienced this past year, we may think is unprecedented, but in fact, history has proven otherwise, and Scripture has anticipated it all. But here is why I'm hopeful and even, uh, in some sense, eager to enter 2021, even with what we've experienced this past week, which has been a little crazy, right? Uh, I'm, I'm eager. I'm, I'm hopeful. And why? Well, because God has been faithful to his word. Even though this past year everything was kind of stripped back, God has been faithful to speak to us. He's been faithful to speak to us objectively through his written word and subjectively through his prophetic word. Do you you remember, just think through, do you remember entering 2020? How God prophetically called us to emphasize his faithfulness throughout the year. Isn't that what we needed for 2020? As we began, we... Jumped into a series on prayer, emphasizing the need to contend for intimacy with God. Wasn't that an appropriate emphasis for what the following months would kind of unfold before us? Do you also then remember how God led us through the book of Ruth? It was a series that had been planned months before even the losses that we experienced in 2019 and the grief that we carried into 2020. Do you remember how God met us through? The book of Ruth, reminding us that his providential hand, his hidden hand, is at work in our lives through the terrible tragedies that we face. God has given his word and has proven his word this past year. His hand has been active through the tragedies, through the difficulties that we have faced. And wasn't God faithful to change up our direction and and have us go through a series on addiction this past spring? It's been one of the most watched series this past year. And wasn't it true then soon after that particular series that we experienced something of loss and difficulty related to the issues of addiction? God knew and God has been faithful to impart his words to us for what we would need in the following months ahead. He has been faithful. And we could then kind of fast forward to where we've been more recently in the series on Revelation, where it's clear that God is faithfully, even relentlessly, contending for our hearts. In a year marked by all kinds of turmoil and trauma, we... We have actively and passively experienced trauma this past year. We've watched George Floyd die. We've watched our businesses burn and be looted. We've also endured personal hardships, wondering if jobs will be kept, if paychecks will come through. It's left us spiritually frazzled, emotionally exhausted, and through it all, what have we heard? We've heard the Alpha and Omega, the ruler of the kings of this earth, stating to us again and again, I want your heart. Repent. Come to me. He's been good to us. He's been good to remind us that in all the chaos that we face, that he is there for us, the one who has authority in heaven and earth. He's bidding us come and and to give him our hearts. He's been faithful to his word this past year. And that's why I'm hopeful in looking to 2021. God will again be faithful to his word. So it was about five months ago that I began asking the Lord how we as a church should enter 2021, what should be our posture, what should be our focus as a church. And the Lord continued to impress upon me the life and faith of a man in the Old Testament named Caleb. As I would ask the Lord how we should enter 2021, the impression was this, 2021 is the year of Caleb's faith. Now I don't necessarily believe that there's some like significant prophetic insight here but I do believe that this is where God is kind of leadi- leading us and as he leads us he will be faithful once again to his word. And I do believe that this emphasis on Caleb's faith is altogether timely. We're living at a time when there are these various layers of unrest that have converged upon one another and have converged upon us. We're feeling, as Revelation points out, we're feeling the impact of political, civil, economic, and natural unrest. And for a society that we live in, that has largely removed God now from its center, it's vying for answers and for solutions without a true foundation, right? And therefore, our culture, we we see it. It's splintering apart. There's these great divides now that we see so clearly within our nation. And unfortunately... I see the church as well to some degree following the culture and being splintered apart as well. But here's the point, folks. We have living truth. We have an anchor for our souls. We have a sure foundation that we can stand upon and as a church be united in so that something of Christ's kingdom might be realized in greater measure. So in the coming weeks, We'll consider some of those dimensions, right? The idea of communing with our God and getting our feet established on the foundation of who he is and what he's promised to us. But also then we will consider us as a community and our need to be together for the grace that is received from one another is so important for us during these times of unrest. And we'll consider just the mission that the Lord has set before us as well. And we'll consider all these different dimensions in the relationship to how we might grow in biblical faith. But this morning, with what time we have left, we're going to consider Caleb. One who endured various pressures and uncertainties, different layers, if you will, of unrest, but... He was a man who was commended for his faith. So Joshua 14, I hope you're there by now, verse 6 through 15 is what I'll read. The word of God states, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke originally this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war, for going and coming. So now give me this mountain, this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard all. On that day, how the Anakim, these were the giants, you heard that they were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron, and he gave it to the sons of Jephthah, For an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed or wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, the name of Hebron formerly was whatever that is. (laughs) Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had. Rest from war. Now, the backstory here, if you're not familiar, obviously Caleb must have been a part of God's people as they were taken out of Egypt. Caleb would have witnessed the grand plagues and miracles of God as God's people were rescued uh, from Egypt. And of course, then, God had promised to his people that they would inherit a land, And so if you'd go back to Numbers chapter 14, which is prior to this particular incident, Moses sent 12 spies into this promised land who then returned to Moses. And 10 were bad and 2 were good, if you remember. 10 gave reports that said, no, there are giants in the land and we will not be victorious over them. While there were 2 men, Joshua and Caleb who said, if God has promised us this land, we can surely defeat them. Let's do this thing. What God then did is actually judged his people. For 40 more years, they wandered in the wilderness because they had no faith in what God had promised to give them. But he did state to Caleb that one day Caleb would receive the land. He would receive it as an inheritance. And so now the conquest has taken place. Forty-five years later, they've begun to enter the land. They've begun to clear the land. God's people have now taken possession of the promise that God had given them, this land. And as they've done this, now there's certain areas still to be conquered. And of course, now Caleb comes to Joshua and says, hey, this land that God promised I'm ready. I'm ready to take it. And Joshua, of course, grants him the opportunity to go into the land where these giants resided. By the way, these giants were the epitome of godlessness. And so it was to clear out the land, bring God's judgment upon them so that God's people might take possession of it. And so that's Caleb he carried this faith in God's promises 45 years later, even ready to take the land that God had promised to him. Now, we have to set a few things in order before we benefit from this text. When it comes to biblical faith, there are all kinds of perspectives and definitions that attend this idea of biblical faith. but If we would briefly run to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, for a definition, we would find this. Now, faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for, the conviction or evidence of things not seen. It's kind of like you need a definition to the definition, right? All those words are kind of subjective. It's like, what in the world is truly being said here? And it's difficult to interpret because we don't have the same kind of English words to explain the Greek words that are being represented here. But the idea is that faith bears truth in mind, but then experiences something of that truth when it's acted upon. Again, the idea is faith, that it bears truth in mind, but then experiences something of that truth when it's acted upon. In other words, faith is not merely just this mental game where I check off all the boxes to get all the right categories in my mind. Faith is not merely a mental game, nor is it only experiential thing. You know, this this faith that I felt, I got chills. Right? Faith is much more substantial than that. It's... It's not one or the other, it's something of both. It begins with reason, it begins with truth and acts by that reason, truth and thereby experiences that particular thing. It's reason that leads to action, that leads to experience, reason, action, experience. This is all called biblical faith. As one scholar explains faith, it's like springtime. The sign that spring has sprung is the crocus flower. Um, Snow and frost might still come, but there's there's the crocus flower. It just always kind of pushing through, you know? It's the, the bright violet and yellow colors as it's pushing through the snow that's on the ground. It's, it's the sign that spring has sprung. Now, in Minnesota, right, where, you know, you, you, winter just lasts and lasts and lasts, and when, when is this gonna end? And you begin to see the crocus flower come up, and all of a sudden, you begin to get excited. And, and some people in Minnesota even they begin to dress differently when they see the crocus flower out there, right? why they they see something coming out and it's a sign of spring and they begin to put their you know short sleeve shirts on and shorts on when it's still like 40 degrees out there their life they're changing they're acting differently because they see something in which spring has now sprung the crocus flower is there and so the crocus flower determines their actions and eventually they become, be, begin experiencing something of Spring. So it goes from seeing something, identifying something, apprehending something. The crocus flower is blooming. Oh, don't we want the reality of spring to come and we begin dressing in a certain way and and acting in a certain way until spring has actually been, been experienced? That's kind of the idea of biblical faith. We receive these truths that we reason and then we act upon them and as we act upon them we begin to experience the grace that is found in that truth. This is biblical faith. It's something to be reasoned. We don't just have faith in faith. Faith is not just this disconnected, dislodged reality nor is it just this unhinged experience, no. There is reason, there is mental work to be done, there is reason, but then there's action, and as action takes place, oh, there's the experience that comes by God's grace. God speaks, his people act accordingly, and therein they experience God. This is biblical faith, it bears truth, in mind, but then experiences that truth when it's acted upon. Now, whether it's the list of those in Hebrews 11 or Caleb here, these individuals are commended for their faith, and we then, as those who can look back upon their lives, are called to examine their faith and even imitate their faith. So we're going to look at three essential characteristics of Caleb's faith. First, first, Caleb's faith was characterized by a singular focus, a singular focus. Caleb was, uh, as one commentator says, a simple man, and in his simplicity, he became a great man. He was not simple in the sense that he was naive of what was going on around him, but it was clear that he had a single focus. If we go back to Numbers 14, where Moses originally sent out the 12 spies, we would find that in that time when Caleb was sent into the Promised Land to spy it out, the whole assembly of God's people, this is Numbers chapter 14, verse 2, We're saying this. If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt and they said to one another, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. God's people largely as a whole, were abandoning faith in God's word and in his promises under the present pressures that they were facing. God promised to give them that land, but the people were recoiling in fear. They wanted to live according to what they previously had known, bondage. They were okay with just going back to the way things were, back to their bondage, back to their slavery. But it's in the midst of this, the majority of the people are crying out like this, faithless attitudes, and yet, Caleb stands out in stark contrast, why? Because his faith was characterized with this singular focus, it didn't matter what everyone else was saying. It didn't matter all the attending pressures that he was feeling in the moment. He kept a singular focus. And for Caleb, it was, God said it, that settles it. God promised this land, let's go take this land. He didn't allow the perspectives, he didn't allow the pressures of the people to take his eyes off of the promise of God. Now, for Caleb, truth. The promises of God informed his next steps. He wouldn't be led back to what he was originally saved from. He kept a singular focus upon what God said and believed that God would fulfill what he had said. So whether it was the majority of the people who stood against Caleb, it was also then as the spies are sent into the land and they return, that once again, overwhelming majority declare faithlessness in God's promise, but not Caleb. Again, he carried this singular focus. And as one commentator states, he says, the majority measured the giants against their own strength. Caleb and Joshua measured the giants against God's strength. The majority had great giants, but a little god, Caleb and Joshua, had a great god, and therefore little giants. You see, Caleb kept his focus on Yahweh God, the self-existent, self-sufficient one, the one who holds all of creation by his sustaining word. This is the one that Caleb says, my God is bigger than anything we face here and now. And he could say that amidst the multitude of pressures and perspectives that abounded. He kept a singular focus, a singular focus on his big God and the promises that his God had made. We must, as Mercy Gate, have a singular focus. As the phrase goes, maybe you're familiar with this, aim small, miss small, right? It's the idea that we need to aim at the center of the center. Maybe you can hear Mel Gibson's voice saying that to his boys as they take out the redcoats. The idea is that you are to aim at the center of the center. You are to focus upon the smaller aspect rather than all the competing perspectives that are there. It's a singular focus to behold your God and the promises that he has made to you. This is our responsibility. This is how we are to walk by faith. We are to keep our eyes, almost tunnel vision, Upon our God, our big God, and the promises that he has made to us. Keep your focus singular upon the strength and upon the word of your God. For the the crocus flower, in in other words, is blooming. Uh, it, It may snow again. There may be added pressures. But keep your eyes on the blooming truth of God's Word. You see, to be a simple person, as Caleb seemed to be, isn't a bad thing at all. It's an okay thing, if not an altogether right thing, to be a simple person, not to be a naive person who's not aware of the pressures at hand but even amidst all the pressures to have a singular focus on your God and upon his word. Once again, we live in a culture right now with all the pressures that abound, who have no true foundation to work from. And so they're splintering apart as they all try to vie for some sort of solution and answer to all the brokenness that is going on. Folks, in, in, a, in an age and in a culture where our hearts and minds are being pulled in all different directions, we feel the pressures and we feel then even the pressure of the culture saying, you have to have our view or else. You don't have to have anyone else's view. You need a singular view upon your God and upon the promises that he has made. It is our responsibility, even as we saw earlier, to look to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Second, Caleb's faith was characterized by a wholehearted devotion. This is the clear emphasis of Joshua 14. The word wholehearted is repeated in verse 9 as Caleb recounts the promise spoken by Moses that he will surely receive this land one day. Why? Because he has a wholehearted faith. Also then in verse 14, Joshua assigns Caleb this land again because of his wholehearted faith. In other words, not only did Caleb keep a singular focus, but he did it without exception. Wholehearted means, of course, with all your heart. It's as if Caleb ordered the entirety of his life toward his God and toward the promises that God had made him. There were, were, in other words, no desires, there were no plans, there were no purposes that Caleb did that did not, he did not then intentionally orient towards this singular focus upon God and the promises that he received. Everything was organized and oriented toward his God and toward the promises that he had been given. He was wholehearted. He wasn't divided in his heart. He wasn't preoccupied with other things. No, he was set upon his God and the promises that he had made. Now, of course, Caleb would have been just a normal man with normal responsibilities and normal concerns. And yet still, as one who had plenty of responsibilities and normal concerns, as a father, as a husband, as one who had to be laboring in the fields or whatever he was doing, all of those things we're always focused in upon his God and upon the promises that God had made. He wholeheartedly was devoted to the Lord. In our context, once again, we feel the noise within and without. We're facing, again, a convergence of pressures, these layers of unrest that we are facing within our culture within our society. Our concerns are big. And what 2021 holds is quite uncertain. And so the voices of our culture, they're they're loud and clear. We've, We've binged watch all the Netflix that we can stomach this past year. So we've felt the noise within and without. Our hearts are overrun with noise. Not only must we have, then, a singular focus, but we need to be regularly informing our hearts with truth. Just as was read earlier, Hebrews 12, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, by those who have gone before us, who are commended for their faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. We have to be all the more intentional to set aside the noise in order to give ourselves to truth. So perhaps that's the first step of being wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. It's to cut out all the unnecessary noise that we're facing. Maybe that's to cut back on social media. Maybe that's to cut back on binge watching Netflix again and again, right? Maybe it's to kind of turn down the dial and all the political dialogue that's out there or probably all the the civil dialogue that's out there and the the issues that abound. There's just endless things to read, endless things to watch, endless things to listen to. The question is have we taken enough time to cut out the noise in order to ensure that our hearts are well-rounded, if you will, Pointed in, focused in on our God and the promises that he's made to us. Perhaps the first thing we need in being wholeheartedly devoted to Christ is just to cut out the noise. Second, though, we need to inform our concerns and our responsibilities with truth. Right? It's like we, we, we must begin to rein in our distracted hearts and inform them with a focus upon Christ. So cut out the noise, but now let, let's examine our hearts. Where are our hearts at? The fears that attend our heart in, in the different ways in which we've Experience the pressures of this past year. Let's consider the fears that are there. Let's consider the responsibilities and, and the things. Are, are, are we going to get that paycheck? How, how do we go about doing work? And, and what is unemployment looking like? All these questions that attend our hearts right now. Let's inform it with truth. Let's bring truth to bear. Let's, let's attend those concerns with our big God and the promises that he has made to us in order to be those who are wholeheartedly devoted to Christ we must do something like good old Martin Lloyd Jones used to say he said he said have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself Right? Our hearts and minds are running, running, running. We're hearing so much, all the noise. We're trying to digest it and take it in. And it's, it, it causes us to be just spiritually frazzled, emotionally exhausted. What Martin Lloyd-Jones says is get busy preaching to yourself. Speak to yourself the truth of who your God is, your big God, and all that he has promised to you in Christ. This is the way of wholehearted devotion, that we're taking our hearts in all the ways in which it perhaps is filled with noise or it's being pulled in different directions, and we're cutting out the noise and we're intending the concerns of our hearts with truth. Cut out the noise and form your heart with truth. Third then, Caleb's faith was characterized by an enduring resolve. When we get to Joshua chapter 14, it's now 45 years later from the original promise that Caleb um, had received. And Caleb receives it just as eager and zealous to, to go about the work of attaining the promise as he was all the way back in Numbers chapter 14. right? We see, as he says in verse 10 of Joshua 14, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years. Verse 11, I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. Verse 12, so now give me this mountain, this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive the Anakim, the giants, out. Just as the Lord said. Do you not see the enduring resolve of Caleb's faith? God said it, and still 45 years later, that settles it for Caleb. He's ready to go about this work of seeing the land secured for God's people. In other words, we could say it this way, uh, Those 45 years was a long winter, right? For 45 years, there the crocus flowers is is, is popping up out of the ground. But no, the the snow just kept coming, the waiting kept coming. Spring just never seemed to arrive. But Caleb never gave up on God's words. He hung on those words, those promises. And he let the promises continually keep him expectant. He rehearsed the promises. And those promises made him then constantly ready for action. Ready to move at the right time. Folks, is, is this how you hang on God's word? Amidst all the noise that you are Hearing, are you regularly rehearsing God's promises to you? Are you actively then readying yourself for what's next? I've been kind of open-handedly hanging on to prophetic words for, for years. Reviewing them, posturing my heart to be ready to see them come about. Stirring faith. For when God may choose to bring those things about, there's also closed-handed promises. Promises of overcoming sin, growing in our sanctification, seeing hearts radically saved, seeing those who are in chaos find something of peace through Jesus, seeing others who are broken and devastated within, find hope and healing through Jesus? Or how about that closed-handed promise of the final coming of Christ? Folks, are are we rehearsing and readying ourselves for these things? Obviously, we are living in an instant culture. We want everything right now, right here. But remember, God doesn't waste the journey. The enduring resolve, God doesn't waste the waiting time. He doesn't waste the 45 years of waiting that Caleb went through. This is the journey where God oftentimes teaches us to bind our hearts to him. So that we're not just utilizing God for what we want for the next moment, but they're actually growing closer and closer to God. That we're seeing the crocus flower come up and saying, no matter what comes tomorrow, another snowfall, I'm going to continue to wear those short sleeve shirts. I'm going to continue to anticipate spring is coming. I'm going to live by the reality of God and his promises to me. Is this the way that you live, rehearsing who your God is and readying yourself for action. Oh, there may be a waiting period before you receive that prophetic word, see it come into full bloom, or maybe it's the promises, maybe you're struggling through sin and just wanting to get through this thing, and you're trying to figure out and work it through. Well, God has promised that He will empower your sanctification. The work that He began in you, He's going to continue. He has grace for you, Or perhaps it's the hurt or the difficult situations that you've gone through. He promises healing. It may be a journey of healing, a process of healing. But he promises to be the healer. And one day he promises to return to set all things right. Do you rehearse these realities of who our God is and what he's promised to us that might cause you then to ready yourself for action, to live, in some sense, as though spring really is coming? And I love that phrase, just as we close out, verse 12. Caleb says, it may be that the Lord will be with me. That's just an honest statement and clearly something of biblical faith at work. Caleb is risking his life on the promise of the Lord. Caleb is recognizing, I I might die in attempting to attain this land, There were probably clear concerns, maybe even fears and apprehensions that Caleb would have been facing, but Caleb was not moved. He was willing to stake his very life on those promises, on the truth of his big God, whether through life or death, whether in conquering the giants and securing the land or in dying while trying, it may be that the Lord will be with me. Faith, when it comes down to it, isn't absent of fear or doubt. But enduring faith will regularly do battle with those fears and doubts by rehearsing the promises of God and readying oneself for action. Is your faith characterized by this kind of enduring resolve. Now finally, I just want to end with this. While we are to learn from Caleb and learn from his faith that saw giants overcome and a land secured as an inheritance for God's people, while we are to learn from him, we must not fail to realize that Caleb's faith points us to a greater faith. That of the person and work of Jesus Christ, who held on to the promises and purposes of his Father even unto death, the death of the cross. But in so doing, Christ overcame the greatest giants of sin, Satan, and death and ultimately secured for us an eternal inheritance, a land where we will one day dwell with God and He with us. Christ is the greater Caleb. While we learn from Caleb, we look, Hebrews chapter 12, to Christ, the author, the finisher of our faith. We look to Christ as the true giant slayer. We look to Him who is the true fulfillment of all of God's promises. And we must not fail as well to see that it's the better Caleb, Christ Himself, who instructs us to pray, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Christ calls us as His church to be agents of His kingdom to see his kingdom realized in greater measure, to see his authority known on earth as it is in heaven. So it's right for us to look by faith to Christ and say, I want that mountain, I want to see The kingdom realized in greater measure here and now. I want to live, I want to work, I want to give myself by faith to see the kingdom of Christ realized in greater measure until Christ returns to establish it in full. I want that mountain. I want to be like Paul who says, I haven't already obtained glory, but I press on in faith. Make it my own because Christ has made me his own. I want that mountain. 2021 is the year, I believe, of Caleb's faith. A faith that once again is characterized by a singular focus, a wholehearted devotion, and an enduring resolve to see the kingdom of Christ realized in greater and greater measure, until spring comes in its fullness. May we, Mercy Gate, look to Christ, who is and who will be the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you, and once again, we, we feel the pressures that are taking place around us, we feel and hear the noise within our own hearts, our hearts even at times, evidencing the fact that our hearts are splintering and are divided in different ways. Lord, forgive us for um, losing focus. Forgive us for looking to the culture for answers when You are our true foundation, where you are the one that holds life and breath and all things in your hands. so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would grant us eyes afresh to see and behold the wonder of Jesus, the promises that he grants us, that you would make us those who are wholeheartedly devoted. Spirit of God, we pray that you would make us aware of the, uh, just the, the movements of our own hearts, the concerns and the fears and why we're doing what we're doing and why we're choosing what we're choosing. Would you give us eyes to see so that we might too be wholeheartedly devoted to Christ in our faith? Lord, I pray that you would give us a wisdom to apply truth to the concerns of our heart, that we would be people in this moment, in this time, that are not being motivated by all the pressures that abound, but are being motivated by who you are, the big God that you are, and by the amazing promises that you've granted us in Jesus. And Father, we also then pray, as we, as we go through something of a waiting season, that we would have an enduring resolve, that we would not so quickly just be taken up with the next thing, that we wouldn't be confused by the ongoing noise of our culture, that we would be those who rehearse well your truth and ready ourselves for action over time. Yes, fears, fears may attend, concerns may attend, Wisdom, yes, will need to be applied, but oh God, we pray that you would be our singular focus, our hearts wholeheartedly devoted through the long haul. There would be an enduring resolve. So, God, we pray, Spirit, come now, come, shape our hearts to be focused and given to the Alpha, to the Omega. The ruler of the kings of this earth. Jesus, we look to you. And we hold on to the promise that as you were faithful to your word this past year, you will be faithful once again. So we look forward to seeing how your faith attends us, how it impacts us, how it continues to lead us in seeing your kingdom realized more and more and more. We want that mountain. We want it. We want to see you receive the glory you are due to see your kingdom realized in its fullness. May it be. In Jesus' name, amen.